Welcome to the Where Two or Three podcast, Christian thinkers finding their place at the table of communication scholarship. Before we begin, the views and discussions of this podcast do not necessarily reflect agreement with the views of Martin Luther College. We pray. The eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their food at the proper time. Thou openest thine hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. Amen. Amen. I always have Amen. to go to the King James. You know, I think about my dad praying when I was a little <laughs> boy, so hope we can have our listeners tolerate that. Hey, John, thanks for coming down to New Orleans. No problem. Uh, you were it's becoming, always, a, always a pleasure. Becoming a man in demand with your vide- videography that's going on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, it's good to be busy, that's for sure. Um, and uh, always fun to come back to, to New Ulm for for a little bit, even if it's just for an evening. Yeah, so. I love you walked up the stairs and said, hey, coach. That just <laughs> takes me back to... I don't think I can ever <laughs> not see you as coach, I think. That's great. <laughs> I'm trying to get back into running, actually. Oh, I've my. been... <clears throat> I stopped when I moved up towards, uh, towards the cities. Mm-hmm. It just got too busy. Sure. And then this winter was pretty gnarly as well, right. so... I ran a mile about three weeks ago. Yeah, thought I was starting something new again. But <laughs> it's been three weeks. So, well, I I signed up for a um, uh, I, was, I don't know if it's like a five k or like a mud run or something with my aunt and uncle. We have like a little team. It's called uh, my sides hurt. Um, but I'm trying to get in shape for that. I okay. think. Uh, well, God bless you. We'll see. I might. I'll need all the blessings I can get. So. I think you you said you had an appetizer to start us off. With sure, we will um, for this episode. Yes, uh, I have uh, my Bible right here open to Matthew chapter thirteen. Um, the context is very familiar. Um, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parable in parables, saying. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And so I think we know the story. What's, what's so interesting to me to set up our episode today, I'll let you announce what our topic is. But uh, to compare Jesus' view of, of words, so to speak, with that of Plato. So Plato, when the technology of writing was, was really much younger than it is now, yeah. he just had this crazy reaction, this crazy suspicion to the technology of writing, which often happens with new technologies, but uh, he just didn't like words on a paper. He just was, was thinking they're dead, they're, they're inhuman, there's no, there's no inwardness within those words, and he, he didn't like the idea of communication being cut off from the communicator and having a life of its own out there, you know, like where are these words going to go, and he had some very strange ideas, and I, I only think of that because... What an amazing contrast that becomes then with this parable. For Jesus, words are, you just throw them to the wind, like, you know, the sower sowing the seed. And there's just such an extravagance to that. There's such a, almost a kind of wastefulness to it. You just have to think of the sun. He makes his sun to shine on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And there's just something wholesome and refreshing about that point of view. And so we're talking about the little bit of theology is we're constantly connecting theology with communication. That's kind of our point with this podcast is it's such a simple thing to say, but, and you can reflect on this too, John, how important it is to say 
that God himself is communicative, that God has condescended, condescended to, yeah. to make himself known. And it's, this is what all theology depends on. You know, most places you study theology is going to be the study of what people have thought about God, but true theology is actually possible but because of God's desire to be known by us. And so, mm-hmm. remarkable thing, not only that, that he communicates, how he communicates, you know, across the wonders of the scripture, and then above all, what he communicates, that he communicates his son to us. Yeah. You know? That reminds me of uh, two other areas in scripture, I believe it will... Def- the first being uh, the opening of John, mm-hmm. uh, where Jesus is the Word, and that that connection is a bit. Uh, I feel like sometimes we just gloss over it, or at least I do, where I just like, yeah, I just take it for granted. And there's a cool song that the seminary chorus sings about mm-hmm. it. And um, but when you really start to to dig into that, it's that that he would condescend to us, and and give us that means to to him is pretty unfathomable almost it's it's hard to hard to to talk about it even yeah i I agree it's hard to come up with the words to say you know words run out you know i think people are familiar with the thought that christ is everything god wanted to say to his world and christ is that divine communication Mm -hmm. of the very nature of god in flesh and but you can't do better than John. In the beginning was the Logos, was the Word, and the Word yeah. was God. Word was with God. So yeah, it's hard to. John's good with that. Um, maybe we'll probably talk a little bit about that I think uh, we will. later too. Um, the other part of Scripture that uh, what you were saying reminds me of is um, is it Isaiah? Like my words will not return to me empty. Mm-hmm. And is it forty? One? Uh, I'm going to say 49. I think it is. No, 55. A, 55. 55? <laughs> don't do this to me. I don't, I don't. I think, well, I 55. should know this. I think both but, of my graduation ceremonies were <laughs> were on this verse. But, you can edit um, that out. Or, and they I, were both, <laughs> I think they were uh, both President Zarling, too. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but the but, same but, metaphor. Yeah, the, the same, same idea. Metaphor, that, uh, like snow from heaven. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're purposeful. That's another interesting right. aspect of. Is they're not, they're they're scattered. They're they're sent out into the world, but they all have a, a task to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And then the the comfort is that we know we can hold God to that, that He will accomplish those things mm-hmm. for which He scatters yeah. His word into yeah. the wind. So someday we should do an episode on media ecology because that that issue of text. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a human. Um, what's the word I want? It's a human creation, you know. It's it's artificial, but yeah. it, yet it makes things possible that are just poignantly human. And just what a game changer text was in terms of For human sure. history and human experience. But here it is: the fact that God Himself uh, invented it, and this was the plan all along. And I think Christ in His parable has to be thinking about the whole range of dissemination of His Word in this world. You know? Yeah, He He saw our time. From his vantage point and this scattering of the gospel to the to the to the winds to do whatever it will do is just mm-hmm. it's an exciting thing to think about and so someday maybe that other approach media ecology and who just, who was that was it uh, Marshall Marsh McLuhan yeah um, there I think Walter Ong is the man that has the really okay. interesting book right to this issue of what orality is versus what literacy is yeah and so we'll talk let's save that we'll talk about that someday yeah. it's just too good not to. For sure. So, but yeah, again, 
God, yeah, especially with Plato and his skepticism yeah. of of literature right. was um yeah we, we should save that one for we'll I'll write that. that one down <clears throat> media ecology the world's ha- world's hanging the balance when you simply understand that God has chosen to communicate with us you know yeah a Kierkegaard called I think this might be familiar to some his love is always the first love you know, he loved, we love because he loved us first. And his, it's always the first love. So if we find ourselves pursuing God in his word, um, wanting a closer communication with him by the means he's provided, word and sacrament, that it really is because he was first pursuing us. He's always first. He's always ahead of us. He's always there waiting, you know, when we come in the door of our local sanctuaries. So, yeah. That's what I got just for a warm up or appetizer. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. It's been a it's been a hot minute since I've said the words media ecology. It's, <laughs> it's been too long, so I can't. I'm wait. already <laughs> thinking about my next trip down to New Orleans. So go. it's great. Uh, the topic we had sort of decided to discuss today uh, in more depth is the uh, idea of communication itself defining it. What is it? What are we talking about? How, um, why do we talk about it? Why is it important? And I remember that the thing that really drew me to it, well, first of all, I have, uh, this blessing or curse maybe of being insatiably curious about everything all the time. And communication was one of those things where I didn't really have a lot of natural gifts or talents. I, I don't feel that I was very um, effective at communicating before I started studying it more in detail. And so learning things changed the way that I see the world and the way that I approach talking to other people or accomplishing things or understanding people. It just opened up this whole new realm of of uh, understanding for me, which mm-hmm. was, you know, going with my curiosity was, uh, there's a lot of food to eat on that table. So that was, that was, uh, most of what, what got me into it. And that, it's a, it's such a deep world that it's hard to run out of things that are, that are curious to talk about. So, well, that's the criticism of the field, right? How can you have a field that studies everything? How can, how can that be a discipline, right? So what is not communication and what is not intimately connected to it is, is the issue. And the same thing drew me, John. Same thing was not a competence, not this is what I'm good at, but this is what I hunger for. Mm-hmm. I just hunger for. It's, you the, always the strive for more. Yeah, yeah human connection. And, and how, does that, how does that even work is mm-hmm. endlessly fascinating. So, yeah. So I think part of our topic, right, John, is to, we thought it'd be good not only to define our subject if we can, it's pretty complex, but... To also just let our passion come through. Why? Why we were both so excited about it? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just I'll just start with um, one of my first memories from uh, grad school. The first class that we had was the the standard introduction to communication, where you've got your uh, core group that was gonna you're gonna be studying, spending the next two years with, um, and we studied it from a historical standpoint, which I think was a a good way to, to approach it, you know, see where the communication field as a, as a scholarly approach, um, began. And from what I remember, uh, which should be more, but, uh, it's been a few years. The, uh, it started off in the, in a, 
couple of other fields like psychology and sociology, and eventually those those kind of merged into a more poignant uh, study of communication. So and journalism, yeah, and anthropology, yeah. and just this kind of hot mess of mm-hmm. disciplines that all realized they were in some way talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So I remember there was a a couple people from the Chicago School, mm-hmm. uh, Herbert Mead. Yeah. Uh, who came up with, uh, oh, what was it called? Symbolic interaction. Symbolic right. interaction. I'll probably get into that. Yeah. What's your basic sense of that? Uh, the looking glass self. Okay. That's what I remember as when I'm trying to yeah, remember of it. Yeah. That's the first thing that comes to mind is that the way that we see ourselves is through the eyes of others. We mm-hmm. imagine, maybe not, maybe imagine is not the best word, but we perceive ourselves through how we perceive others perceiving us. Sure. You're looking out into the social mirror and yeah. what's coming back to you tends to, mm-hmm. if we're not careful, it's going to tend to define our very sense of self. So I, I think the broader, that's an application. The broad thing is just as simple as when you, when you name something, you're going to dramatically alter how you experience that thing. Yeah. So it includes the, the self-concept is part of that too. But yeah. So yeah, good, good start. So Chicago stu- school is what kind of, yeah, and I, that was specifically sociology, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then that must have been... I remember it's 34 because I wrote that APA format a number of times when citing his book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right after that was World War II, and there were a lot of questions about um, mass media and propaganda, and then also into a more mathematical problem of you know how do we run technology that requires feedback in order to perform optimally so like if you're trying to aim a missile or a bomb or something exactly how do we how do we construct a system that can communicate and that mathematical approach uh was kind of spearheaded by shannon weaver and he came up with the the feedback model of communication where there is a a source and it gives a message which may or may not have interference and it goes through a channel or a medium of some sort whether it's like a wire or airwaves or you could be even you can apply it in different ways and maybe it's text itself and then that message is perceived by the receiver after maybe they have some interference when they're um, reading it or understanding the message and then that goes back through this, it, it is um, an, another message is generated and sent back to the the original sender, and there's the model. Yeah, there's how it, it's part of it, right? Is about the some of the paradoxical qualities that information has mm-hmm. that you share it, you still have it, things like that. I always felt the Shannon Weaver model is just almost dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. It's just not how I think that whole yeah. quantitative. Mm-hmm. scientific kind of version that it leaves out so much that's human. Mm-hmm. You know, we're acting, we're, we're interacting spontaneously and we're not just taking turns sending messages yeah. back and forth. There's a it's whole very, lot yeah, more going it's on. It's reductive. It, Definitely. It, yeah. it can limit too. It's very powerful right. because it allows you to approach and solve problems that you might not have before. For right. instance, especially in their situation, they're not really looking for the humanizing aspects of how to target a uh, bomb correctly, but... It, and the same thing with the propaganda stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, you take everything Freud seemed to have learned and taught mm-hmm. the world, and you, you, 
you figure out what all the buttons are, and mm-hmm. then we're going to find ways to push all those buttons in mass media. Mm-hmm. And some was wholesome, and it was how how do we how do we engage a whole country in the war effort? And you can you can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. My mom has stories about just how moving it was to see a country united. But then on the other hand, it's what can we get a crowd to do? You know, <laughs> just just the profound lack of respect for for the crowd and this new phenomenon of people being a crowd all in separate places but still mm-hmm. being a crowd because of media so yeah interesting you know there's the, the roots go way back before that I was yeah. all the way back to Augustine and Aristotle mm-hmm. and stuff but as far as a discipline you're right it's a post-World War II thing yeah first PhD was 1950 Wilbur Schramm was the guy's name and that's how young our field actually is mm-hmm. yeah I forget that sometimes because it feels like this stuff like we study things that have been around for very long time, but mm-hmm. then it it kind of all came together within the last 60, 70 years here. Right. And and then even now it's changing so fast. I remember the things that we were talking about when I was in your class versus what is happening very recently mm-hmm. uh, with social media and studying um, CMC, I think computer-mediated communication. Mm-hmm. I think that's how it... Um, is that is that what the acronym? Let me think. SIP theory is. I'm not. It? It, it, it's so new that I don't know. It. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about this, John, before we started. We need to keep reading books and yeah. not rely on what we read. Um, so, def, a definition of communication. I remember my first class. There was a guy from Russia who said, well, "Yeah, we don't have a word for this in my country. <laughs> we don't even have a word for it." So. As a, as a definition, there's the way I always used to define it, and I think it's still true, but since then I've just come to think there's way more than this. So that would be the transmission model, right? Mm-hmm. So I would define communication as this is the process of sharing meaning, and I would always add all the human things that surround the process, like how important context always is for all communication mm-hmm. and um, how important trust is and what triggers your trust. you know. But the thing itself would be the process of sharing meanings, and that would be both verbal and nonverbal, of course. Um, something's interesting about that, then communication scholars have to debate, well, you can include communication that is intentional only, or you can also include it when it's not intended. Mm-hmm. What, what did you come down on that, John? In terms of a definition yeah, or does, does how your encompassing? communication include communication that was never intended? I think so, but again, when it comes to the question that's being asked, like that too has a context, right? So mm-hmm. if that if someone's saying like, does communication to you include messages that were not intended to be sent? Like in some situations, that would be very much a yes, I, I because think so. the the consequences of misinterpreting or picking up a message that was not intended to be received in that way or received at all That's is, other, is so much more in, of a, a consequential situation. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. So with and that is... It's hard, to, it's hard to exclude things when you really want to get down to how something right. really is working. If you only studied communication that was effective, it'd be hard to even, you know, what makes something effective, you know, you just end up figuring out what you exclude from your your, you know, frame of reference or your your research. So you read my mind. That was the second one. Will you only count it as communication when it's successful? 
And I yeah. agree with you on both. We'd have to say, no, we need to understand communication when it fails. Why did it fail? We need to understand it when we didn't intend it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, what a feminist scholar would call the male gaze, you know? So this is a real thing, how a man can objectify a woman by the way he looks at her. And he doesn't mean to be telling her something. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mean to be sending a message, but it's loud and clear. And, you know, in a ministry context, like here at this college, it's potentially devastating. Mm-hmm. And the last one is, is it only communication if it's perceived? And that's an interesting one. There's some examples, right, of communication where you didn't even perceive that you were communicated to, and yet something did pass between you. Yeah, you know, like there's the, something subconscious like about Like smells it. and the pupils being dilated and things like mm-hmm. that. We don't know what we're reacting to, but we are actually reacting. So I, I, I get that sometimes when I listen to uh, like a song. It will bring back things that I don't even... It, it'll take me a second to think about, you know, where is all the, like, why, why am I transported to a different place when I listen to this song? Like, sure. why do I, why am I suddenly in like a grade school bus, you know, the first one on, last one off, listening to, you know, Journey or whatever right. CDs my well, dad has. music it's, can be so completely recreated. It mm-hmm. can be just so identical to the original experience and sound compared to sight, you're kind of inside of sound, yeah. you know, as far as how you perceive with that sense. And so I, I think music just recreates yeah, and it's it. You can be completely unaware of that, and it will still happen. You don't have to be Agreed. conscious yeah. of it for for that to take effect. You don't have to want it to happen for it to um, happen to you. So, so what I love about the definition, we're, we're, I think it's incomplete, but <clears throat> the process of sharing meaning. It's uh, it's just, that process by itself is pretty fascinating. I mean, so there's an event in my head. I like to say it this way: an event in my head. Mm-hmm. And let's take an example. Since we're on God communicating, something Luther said, you could have stood 20 feet from the cross and come away with nothing from the spot where God died. You come away with nothing. He said, why? There's one thing more you need. You need the word, the word, the word. You need some word from God saying, take this. This is for you. So that's a really important little piece for me. And so what did I do? You know, the event in my head turned into... I'm exhaling and I'm making my throat vibrate, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm shaping the sounds with the organs of my mouth. And the air between us is wiggling in a certain way. And now it's hitting your eardrum. And mm-hmm. now it's electronic impulses and, and passing down the nerves. And now it's mm-hmm. inside your skull, John. It's right inside your skull. Stop invading. <laughs> and, and the fact that it is possible that the event in my mind also showed up in your mind. Let's say, let's say it succeeded. Let's say it succeeded. And I, you know that process all by itself is... Crazy cool. And I always tell students, if you don't think so, there's the door. If you don't find that, mm-hmm. um, how that works. And then, so the thought, you go right to Helen Keller, and who, you do come across her in communication scholarship. So this woman, her, her experience not being sighted, not being, not being able to hear her young experience was really almost brutish, is what she would say about herself. And then the famous thing, you know, it's in the play and in the book, Anne Sullivan has uh, Helen Keller's hands under the water faucet and she's signing letters into this girl's hand and Helen Keller goes berserk. She just goes berserk euphorically happy and she's running around the backyard insisting on other things being pressed into her hand, you know, and and I think the play just has Ann Sullivan, her teacher, just all she says is, she knows. Mm-hmm. And, it's like, and the question is, what does she know? Not what water is. She knows what words are. She, she knows what words are, and, and the degree to which that 
pierces her isolation and mm-hmm. it's like welcome to the human race girl you know welcome yeah. in because now you're part of the 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 shared experience yeah the intersubjectivity of signs mm-hmm. is oceans deep and that's maybe where symbolic interactionism is right where we have symbols words that re- represent things definitely and then through that we have the shared experience because we share meaning with the symbol exactly of what it is in fact you can even you know cue john 1 1 again mm-hmm. just by some sort of an analogy we can say that god spoke the word and the word pierced our night you know in the mm-hmm. same way and god welcomes us through that light that he cast but it's 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 communication right it's yeah it's stepping back and just get, kind of grasping the mystery of that that process i think i remember now um when we first learned about that, I believe it was probably your class. There was, um, I remember you had those videos. You'd have like a flipped classroom right, thing right. where you'd have yeah. the videos. Those were great. I love them. Um, you had a. I thought they were ex- boring. I stopped doing them. But <laughs> they keep, glitched keep every going. once in a while and we maybe, <laughs> oh, that's we right. maybe made fun of you a little oh, that's bit. That's right. But, I remember that now. Uh, there was uh, an example you used with, uh, I think, the word father and the meanings that that can have. So that, that would be a symbol. Right. And some of us, a lot of us have the idea of as a father as, you know, this is my, you know, birth parent. And then you also have ties to our heavenly father. Mm-hmm. And then how different that experience, that symbol would be for someone who was, say, like an orphan or had a, you know, their father safe. left them when they were right. very little. How How different that is. And Maybe that's where communication can break sure. down some, but is also very important to to look at. So, so we're in the same speech community, therefore we know the code. Therefore, you know we can interact in code. But to study how words work makes you deeply concerned. If, if for me this is the warmest word in the language, it just is the warmest word there is. But I can't make the assumption that for the child I'm talking to, father is the warmest word there is. You know, I, I can't ignore the fact that father might be everything you said. Someone I don't know what I'm going to get from him when he walks in the door. And so this is just really informs a lot of things that when I talk to boys and girls that say, I'm going to be constantly saying boys and girls, when I say father, here's what I mean. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk that way so that I can have a confidence that we're using the word the same way from, from now on. I mean someone who is there and shows up and he loves you without condition, but he also desires your, your improvement and growth. And, but you, you know, and to flesh it all out in that way so that we can have that kind of assurance that, and, and so as a Christian setting communication, I mean, it's the whole range of words we use in our speech community as the mm-hmm. church, this whole range. You, you can't just say Cain and Abel and, not know that communication will come to a screeching halt if people yeah. don't happen to have that symbol in their, you know, in the yeah. repertoire. Then think of the big words. Is there is there a single big word we have that means the same thing outside of our speech community? Like love, and doesn't mean the same thing out there. Mm-hmm. Hope doesn't mean the same thing. Justification doesn't mean the same thing at all. Mm-hmm. To say nothing of words that aren't even, you know, like Macedonia. What is that? Yeah, <laughs> you know. So it's just it's a good example. I'm glad you brought this up. Just of. How thinking deeply about communication, even not deeply, that's not that hard to understand yeah, at all, that's but a, it still does change how you approach mm-hmm. the day-to-day. You know? Yeah, it forces you outside of your own shoes a little bit. Yeah. You have the, the, to, right. yeah, you've got to be able to, and that's empathy, right? Like That's being able to 
put yourself in the shoes of another and the, the term is and the, truly be in those shoes instead of just what was it looking down into the pit it would be sympathy and then crawling down in there would be it would be true. empathy mm-hmm. that's the but yeah that it, it studying it even slightly forces you to do that mm-hmm. which is rarely a bad thing i would say definitely not so then the question becomes, if that's still a pretty cool understanding of communication and the process of sharing meaning when you really think about how it works and, and again, that God, God deigns to take part, my goodness. Um, but the question then is, what does it still leave out? What is there more to what communication is? And um, I guess my mind first goes to, this is again, symbolic interactionism, so I think of a boy and girl who've been friends for a long time, right? And mm-hmm. and um, one day they decide to name their relationship something different. They call it dating instead of mm-hmm. friendship. Oh. And just the, the fact that they put a different word on it is going to just turn upside down their whole experience of each other, their whole experience of the future, their whole a set of behaviors would not have occurred to them before. And, mm-hmm. you know... Um, the way they re- relate to every other person outside their relationship is going to yeah. change just with a word being put on it that's different. And like God calls us his child and he just means to turn upside down our whole experience of life in this world and mm-hmm. the possibilities of how we can even know ourselves in relationship with him. And so it's like I now pronounce you man and wife as an example of what the scholars call performative utterance. That means that words usher in a new situation. That's what they do. The words actually change the situation. Mm -hmm. And the only thing, just the concern about this is um, it could lead a certain person of a certain mind down a path that can be a bit postmodern if you're going to say, well, we're just naming reality and that's going to shape how we experience it. We don't have to deny that that process exists. It's just a fact. You call it dating. You can experience Mm -hmm. each other differently. The, the safeguard and the corrective is that God is the one by his word who is able to name everything perfectly and accurately and shape yeah. the way it ought to be experienced. And so the the omniscience of God and, and the stability of his word is what corrects us. And but again, makes us able to say, this is a real thing. Yeah, if, if I don't think something's a chair and you tell me it's a chair, I'm going to treat it differently. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Of the name you put well, yeah, you can, you can go down a, a dangerous path with that. But I think the... The main point is that naming something is certainly not negligible; that it does have a Absolutely. has a, has an impact. You, you so could, it's not the be all end all, but it that it would. You yeah, could frame would. the Bible, the story of the Bible, as the battle over how to name things. Right, the devil is lying about who God mm-hmm. is, and God is telling the truth about who He is, and calling us into that reality. That the the Spirit, by His Word, is helping us to to live in. Certainly. The way the universe is, right? mm-hmm. and the way the real God is, and so it is kind of a battle over what do you call things? You know, mm-hmm. um, is God good or not good? Devil, devil. That's that's kind of blowing my mind right now. I'm just trying to think about all. Like if you if you look at scripture through only that lens, just for uh, academia's sake or curiosity. In my case, it's just. Uh, it's making me take a pause, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that's exciting stuff. Um, so th- there's another definition of communication that is not really you know, scholarly f- framed that way, but mm-hmm. it's a really interesting way to think about it. So this is 
what's his name? You asked me before. Peters. Peters. John Durham Peters. Is that what yeah. I said before? Mm-hmm. So his definition of communication goes like this. There's quite a bit of context to it, but it simply is communication is that which answers to the fact that we can never be each other. And so what he's talking about is post-World War II, again, where the discipline kind of heated up. He just kind of noticed that all anybody ever said about communication was to make it a problem. It was to wring their hands over how the thing fails all the time and, and didn't really know another way to think about it. And so, like, radio comes out, right, and there's these radio waves, and now we're, now we're communicating across the distance. And this just, in history, created this huge set of, I don't know, fads or something that if we can communicate remotely like that, then what is possible between people? You know, he had seances all of a sudden, and it was all the this driving to know, can there be contact beyond this world? And there was ESP, ESP was the exploration of, can we have some kind of mental fusion between each other without the medium of communication? And going back to the scholastics, who people always laugh at the debate over how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, but that was what the question was. If, if an infinite number of angels can dance on the head of a pin, that means they must be occupying the same space and that they must then have contact with each other that's that's direct and immediate if if a limited number a finite number then it, so that's what that was about yeah. the the Turing experiments of if a computer can fool me and i think i'm talking to a person then then this brings up the the terror of solipsism which is if a computer can fool me how do i know anybody is like me how do i know anybody has inwardness the way i do maybe everybody is just kind yeah. of that and so this whole thing about communication answering to the fact that we can't be each other really names when the field was young what people were dealing with philosophically mm-hmm. you know and what I like about Peters there is and, and maybe another little theological piece is that there's no reason to think that Adam and Eve before sin had fusion of minds so in other words they communicated and it was human to communicate it was human to reach for each other across that space between mm-hmm. from the from the privacy of their inwardness. Yeah. So you know? meaning communication is not a necessity of sinfulness. No, sin did not that's exactly my point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nor is there a reason to think that in eternity in heaven, in perfection, we won't be communicating anymore because we'll have mental fusion. No. It just seems to be human and and part of our design is embodied creatures and so what Peter's just saying about even right now, today, is that rather than wringing our hands over the problems, we should be so thankful that this thing works as well as it does yeah. you know, most of the time. That and we haven't broken it so much that it's <laughs> exactly. incompatible. So communication is what, or this reality is what leaves room for compassion and leaves room for the mystery of another human being. Mm-hmm. The fact that we are communicating across the gap between us yeah. with a, with a flat-out marvelous process that God has designed. And this is just off the top of my head, but that takes me right to uh, the Tower of Babel mm. and wondering the implications there. Because, I mean, humans didn't come up with all these languages. You know, what was the language before that? You know, was it the same? Was how did what was that like when all of the sudden people weren't able to communicate with each other at all and that certainly achieved what god's purpose was which was to have people you know spread out and populate sure. the whole earth but definitely is the frustrating of something 
the, the gift that was given was communication. And now as a result of sin, mm-hmm. there is the divine frustrating of, yeah. of that. Um, so yeah, interesting reference. I yeah, want to think yeah. some more about that. I yeah, bet for sure. More it just story. came up. But it just came. Yeah. <laughs> it just came to me that that would be a, an interesting thing to research more. But. Definitely. So, yeah, where does that take us, Johnny? Yeah, uh, right. I mean that's the nitty gritty part. Is we're getting more towards, you know, we started trying to define what is communication, and now it's more towards. Like what is it not? What what is what is excluded? Especially right. when you start looking at something like uh, Peter's definition, which right. is just a more all-encompassing. You know that like I can't be inside your mind. I it, we're different minds. How so? Then communication is everything that allows those to be, um, bri- or what is necessary because those things need to be bridged. So that very good and i think the the central role of communication is something's happening vocationally too where for example there's now uh communication of nursing mm-hmm. it's, it's been around for a while already now yeah right? but so every field is realizing so science before you do too much science you come up with a question well how do you communicate science now how are we going to communicate um our discoveries our ideas and so it, communication does kind of become this queen of disciplines almost that is still very messy as a field. It's, yeah. it's messy because there's no common definition. Well, yeah, it's hard to categorize it. Right, no that one, was part of right. the – I mean, there's been a couple good attempts to, to structuralize it or, or analyze it. I remember, was it uh, The Matrix? Oh, Craig. Uh, Craig. Craig's model, yeah. Craig's model. Then that's that's kind of – what I think is the predominant, you know, uh, the, map, so to speak, of the field sure. so far, and that sort of, in many ways, is, inspires this podcast, right? Because mm-hmm. Craig is what he's figured out is that there are these seven traditions, mm-hmm. right? And so, what are they? Phenomenology, yeah, it's like the study of what it's like, <laughs> yeah. That's just such a cool thing. I mean, yeah. Let's strip away all the categories and how can we, it's really a discipline of writing. How can I capture in words what something mm-hmm. is like? Like a, yeah. I read one of a, a mommy playing with a boy and they're playing, I'm going to get you. Yeah. And what's it like to be that child running away, mm-hmm. knowing she's going to chase you? What is the delight? And mm-hmm. so here's a, here's a, dis, or here's a tradition of communication, just trying to get at that essence of experiences, mm-hmm. you know, and who would have thought of that, right? So the semiotic one you mentioned, the mm-hmm. semiotic tradition, which is the symbols and signs. And yeah. There's rhetoric, which is the Aristotle piece. I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll talk about that someday. Cybernetic, I think, is more the Shannon Weaver. Yeah, right? that's that, the, that business. the reduce everything to essentially a mathematical equation, which exactly. is powerful, and you can generalize things. But It's the one I like the least, and yet our first episode, Judy Burgoon, Expectancy Violation Theory, that's that's in that I, tradition, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. The psychological model is one which I'm really attracted to. Mm-hmm. Goes more to the inwardness of the two communicators. Yeah, you know, I don't know what we're forgetting here. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> if I still could connect to the MLC Wi-Fi, I'd I'd look it up. I'd yeah, and then so the Matrix is so there's these seven traditions, yeah. and then the other what, what dimension. The, the other dimension so that's, is yeah, that's, context. So yep. there's individuals, there's groups, there's culture, there's organization. So you take that, you can yeah. see how that plays together. Yep. So what is a semiosis of a given culture brings mm-hmm. that together? And, but so the inspiration for us is that 
Craig uh, has written about, just speculating, what is the eighth tradition going to be? What is the next tradition going to be? And he proposes a spiritual one, is kind of a vaguely spiritual one, and that's where I've always felt like we got people going back to Augustine and and way before him, yeah. the prophets that have been thinking about these things for a long time, and these people have things to say. Mm-hmm. You know, Augustine is the first semiotician. He he had three words that was really based on the Trinity. You know, something mm-hmm. I'm not going to get it right, but something about that the thought doesn't lose its essence when it becomes the sign, and so it's like the Son of God retaining the essence of God. Not mm-hmm. losing any of it when he becomes the sign in this world, and that theology might be terrible. So please don't push back on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But my point is just that here was a guy thinking theologically about what communication actually yeah. is. He was asking the questions. Third century A.D. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, eighth tradition. We would we would love to think there could be a, it's a purely Christian tradition. It'll mm-hmm. never happen, John. Mm-hmm. I hate to tell you that <laughs> it will never happen, but it I'm deserves to happen. Yeah. yeah, it deserves to happen because. It would it would just be such an exciting territory to open up, yeah. More formally with people, mm-hmm. better scholars than we are, mm-hmm. you know, looking and at. And it it it's kind of right where this podcast lives, right? As exactly. you said before, like exactly. that's where that's where the the crossroads would be. Exactly. Is it gives us a frame for understanding the scholarly world of of communication, but also the the very rich and in. in inexhaustible tradition of Christian scholarship as well. Definitely. So it's just a, it's a playground, right? It's just a total playground. Yeah. Um, if you're nerdy, like both of us are, mm-hmm. there, there are things that I think we both just find inherently interesting. I mean, just, I think Peters has this, I'm not sure where I found this. We talked about this earlier about animals, like yeah, the, the mystery when two different kinds of beings communicate, yeah. like, like yeah, the phenomenology humans. of having a pet, you know? Yeah, like, what's going on with what that? Is that? What is this? When you're talking to your dog, what's going on there? It's just mm-hmm. so mysterious. Yeah. Uh, man, dogs that cry at the at the graveside of their owner. What's it's going hard to on say there? that there's nothing going on there. Is, that there's got to be, there's something. Right. Even when, like, when you come home and they like, <laughs> <laughs> give it a treat, you know? Like, that's, that's communication. What in the world? Yeah. I, or even... I mean, I have a I have a cat at home, and it communicates to me mostly when it's hungry. But it's still very interesting. It's right. like, what is it? What is it perceiving? And the, what is it trying to accomplish? The theory I heard recently was that animals experience reality directly, whereas you and I, as humans, put words between. It's the same mm-hmm. issue of naming everything, putting words between, and words become then the you know the medium through which we're shaping and and connected to experience and the power of words then to bring whole worlds in that Mm -hmm. are not present to make them present in our in a theological sense of what imagination is you know it's so some of this is not theological some of this is not even practical it's just you and i find this stuff yeah way cool immensely intriguing (laughs) definitely because i think of the communication between like say me and a dog and then I mean, I'm sure there's research on dog packs, like they're pack animals. They're they have a maybe, um, what's the word? Like an inherent understanding of like what it means to be in a group, and they operate in that way. 
and yeah, and where, where is the instinct? How like does they communicate? Else yeah, besides they, instinct, you mm-hmm. know. I don't imagine animals self-reflecting. I don't think that they're self-reflecting. Yeah, I was I they... a good dog today? You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So maybe I, mean, I wish, but C.S. Lewis thinks maybe animal animal pain is different just because what's painful about pain is the reflection on it. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm in pain, and yeah. that's what really hurts. You know, or he said, "A man and his dog closes a gap in the universe." That's just a quote I love from Lewis. Yeah. There's something going on there—the mystery of two kinds of creatures or two kinds of beings and of course Kierkegaard talks about the infinite qualitative dif- difference between us and God we're not like a you know like an Aristotle view where we're kind of a spark of the divine no the difference between us and God is this infinite qualitative difference and yet, mm-hmm. and yet he took on our humanity and yeah. and shares human stuff so I guess you know, that's the other piece of this maybe so back to Peter saying um Communication is that which answers for the fact that we can never be each other. Then the, the follow-up question can be, I just thought of this now, so what kind of contact between us is, is available? So we are all kind of locked in our skulls, right? Mm-hmm. But we have this set of brilliant processes that God has given us to reach mm-hmm. each other. So what kind of access do we have to the interior of other people? And and I was just thinking that earlier today about fellowship so the Mm. word in greek is koinonia it's having in common we have the same thing the same thing is in me that is in you and so there is that sort of depth of connection and understanding when or when we share any any sort of what we call human stuff this is ken burke right any sharing Mm -hmm. of human stuff any overlapping of our identity you're a packer fan i'm a packer fan at that spot there is there is something happening between us that Mm -hmm the ancients called like like is known by like so i can know in you what i know in me kind of is mm-hmm. so what kind of content even the mystery well, that of, that reminds me of another what the other c.s lewis quote which was uh, about friendship is like, well i'm not the only one exactly like there's a there's a exactly there's a certain right. essence to it that good quote john yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know it from you so. <laughs> no i don't think i've quoted that but he does define friendship that yeah, way yeah it's um you too. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I thought only. I was the only one. Yeah. And, and there's a common stuff, which right. is you know goes back to Ken Burke. Right. So that's part of what fascinates me is that question of what connections, what connection is possible, such as the mystery mm-hmm. of empathy. We should talk more about that someday. The how the mirror yeah. neurons are functioning to to draw us in some way into each other's experiences. Yeah, I mean, because there's the maybe not simpler ones, but. Uh, say like a, a movie or a show that would you know talk about the cool like things that you can like what direction is a person's eyes looking and that's how you can tell that they're lying or something and that's what the one pickpocket shares with another right right or or things like that that you can read the nonverbals of someone and like oh now i'm aware of that and that's kind of interesting but then to get to the more uh meta communicative aspects that are like more hard to define and it's not like a simple equation like up and to the right is you're lying down and to the yeah. right is you're embarrassed you know i don't know if those are true but like that's a that's a simple like you know that's an equation but friendship is not like that there's something more where you you can't find out what what's on both sides yeah. it's not something that it's, it's not a problem to be solved it's like a well, maybe is that a Kierkegaard quote? Like, life is not a problem to be solved, but a journey to be experienced, or something like that. I'm not sure. 
can only be understood. It back, sounds like a Pinterest quote. Cool. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know. I know his is uh, life can be understood backwards, but it has to be experienced forwards. Yeah, that sounds. That sounds closer. Better, yeah, that sounds. Kierkegaard doesn't really go on Pinterest quotes as much. <laughs> no, no, I'm no, not on should, Pinterest though. No so, should he. Yeah, no, I'm not either. <laughs> so I mentioned in passing the mirror neurons of just the science of empathy is just. I, I'm not a scientist, so I'll probably butcher this, but my sense of it is that if I look at your smiling face, that the same neurons in my face are sort of switched on. If I'm really empathic, I'll actually smile right back at you or laugh when you laugh. There's this contagion that's going on. But even if I'm not empathic necessarily, even if I don't smile back, the idea that that same set of neurons in my face are activated and the idea then is that I know what it would feel like to have that particular set of neurons yeah. moving the flesh around in my face because I, I don't have to think it through. I feel it. I intuit it. It's like the nonverbal, mm-hmm. the 45 clues that come together that you don't even yeah. cognitively process. It's just you're drawn in because you know what it feels like to be well hit by a baseball in a, mm-hmm. in a difficult place. Yeah. You know, uh, you, <laughs> every guy in the room has... vicariously experienced totally, the same thing. totally do. So, That's, uh, is that Daniel Goleman? The high road, the low road, in the mind? Yeah, a little bit different, maybe. Okay. When He would say that when we like each other and when we're responsive or paying attention to each other, then there is this deeper bridge between us, deeper than the cognitive one, mm-hmm. where we're thinking along with each other. Yeah. Where actually our brain starts to light up in the same ways and our breathing synchronizes and the turn-taking is so fast between us because mm-hmm. we, we achieve this thing he calls in sync. Yeah. You know, and so it's not, it's not like direct access to your, inside your skull, but it's in that same category yeah. of, of what kind Something of access similar is there. Where... What is the, what I'm always looking for, what is the miracle, what is the aha, what is the praise, praise of our maker basically and our savior that mm-hmm. comes out of just seeing what he's done, you know, and it's, someday we'll talk about technology more, John, cause you're, you're good at it and you've got a lot of interest in. And, and so we'll talk about why face to face is always going to be privileged because of the miracle that's happening. Uh, technology yeah. is awesome in all kinds of ways. We'll talk, I'm sure someday about its downsides, but the, which scholars are still trying to figure out, but, but yeah, um, our listeners, all four of them by now. I think we have four yet. Oh, maybe five. <laughs> they can tell. This I is talk what, to someone. This is <laughs> word of mouth. Very good. So listeners can tell that we are pretty nerdy about yeah, this. Yeah, we, we love it. Pretty passionate. Yeah, we're not even done yet on, <laughs> for this, this one. <laughs> yeah, what did you see? We had, a, we had a dessert for you. Oh, yeah, that was good, main course. Yeah, that, I, I think. Are you full? I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there, I have there room too. for a little, little sweetness. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, the you said you had a dessert prepared, which always makes me excited because I'm always curious what the latest thing that you're oh, uh, okay. thinking about <clears throat> is. And uh, you said the term self-compassion. This is uh, something I learned from my future son-in-law who's studying psychology. And, mm-hmm. of course, my thing is always wanting to test things theologically and does it fit within a Christian frame or not. So mm-hmm. I would invite our five listeners to push back if they need to. Um, I've talked to this 
I've talked to pastors about this, and I've, I've been kind of testing my my thinking that way too. Mm-hmm. So here's the basic issue: we've all lived through uh, an obsession with self-image, you know, in the last several decades, longer than that, actually. Yeah. Which is, of course, you know, such a trap. It's such a trap of identity, trying to find some worth a confession based on what is essentially an evaluation, right? So that's the issue. Self-esteem is an evaluation. It's an evaluation of yourself. This concept of self-compassion is, is, is the very opposite. It's not evaluative. It's not evaluative. You just get it for being part of the train wreck of the human race. You just get it for, you know, it's like thinking Jesus in this beautiful scene, leaving Simon Peter's mother mother's house. He just healed her, and wading out into an ocean of just broken, diseased people, touching every single one. You know, this is not evaluative. He's not just you know discerning among them. Yeah, it's just you just get compassion because of your need from God. You get compassion, you know, just because, or well, as a Christian, because you're His. And so, it's it's like if you were teaching a child how to how to be a friend. You would teach a child there's certain things, ways you talk to a friend, right? And things you don't do. You don't look in them to your friend and say, You suck. You just don't you don't do that. Not unless you're like really good friends. Unless you're really good friends. <laughs> sure. I'll grant you that. <laughs> so so the idea, which I would kinda wanna frame again biblically, but that you would look in the mirror and befriend that person, you know. That same set of how do you treat a friend? And, and so you could be asking, why would I not, if God has befriended this person, why would I treat this person differently and less than that? If God has befriended this person, what right do I have? And kind of like, how dare I? Who, you know? So thinking, thinking into the scriptures, it's like the first little flag goes up in my mind. Is this, this is going to make myself the source of any edification? No, no, it's much more powerful to think about the compassion of God that is without condition, it comes freely and totally. But I still think there's something there just in terms of, well, the other thing I guess I would say is it's not, it's not an end around repentance. I, for me in my own recent experience, it, it actually helps me go deeper into repentance because how would I help a friend repent? I'm not gonna just yeah. you know, condemn, I'm going to gently, carefully pull back the bandage and, and, mm-hmm. and reveal the wound. And look at it, but with the readiness of grace. That's the whole point of repentance, is the refreshing that comes in forgiveness. And so even thinking, when the psalmist says, why so downcast, O my soul? I mean, this is how you talk to someone who's loved, right? This is how Mm -hmm. you, you know. And so it's just, it's an interesting thing. My experience was I had, I'd I'd given a sermon a couple years ago, and I just thought it was a terrible job. And the sermon was in honor of some celebrants. And every time I see them, I would just be like thinking about, ah, that stunk. You know, I'm every sorry. time I see them, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that. And then just thinking through this issue just a little bit, I saw one of these people the next day, and my my thought process was, you know, I'm human. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was I was in San Antonio with a bunch of pastors, having served three years, and part of this was just, dudes, you're human. Yeah. You know, you're human. God knew what he was getting when he called you. And so. Yeah. And he, you, not only that, like he uses those imperfections for, 
for his well, like, purposes. Right. We're not the whole package, right? Yeah. If, if our whole message to the world is that Christ is totally sufficient for every single thing, then, what, then meanwhile, we are fighting like mad mm-hmm. to be the whole package ourselves. It's just, it's a formative contradiction. It doesn't make any yeah. sense that we can't just, what does that verse say, throw off falsehood and speak truthfully to each other. Yeah. You know, um, and have an identity. You know, it's like the theology of glory is reaching for identity on our own terms. We just, mm-hmm. we just want to be somebody and just we've figured out that that has to crash and burn yeah. for us to find out who we really are and to have an identity that doesn't destroy us because we didn't earn it and to not have our whole sense of self hanging in the balance every single day. My whole worth, mm-hmm. you know, my whole... Uh, yeah. Just the, always at stake. Always the sanctified life is not... Too much at stake. Yeah, sanctified life is not... The goal of it isn't to be perfect, because we we can't accomplish. Like, it's it's more about that it's been perfect already. Sure, for I us. think so yeah. too. Whatever progress there is is not quote unquote sinning less. It's it's yeah. it's being drawn more deeply into the cross, into the daily operation of mm-hmm. crucifying ourselves and dying with Christ and yeah. rising again. That's to to learn that to to. Um, Let's say to appropriate forgiveness to ourselves, you know, not to withhold it from ourselves, but to appropriate more readily because we understand it's it's becoming more deeply absorbed by the gospel, really. Yeah. And not letting go of that thing until it blesses, you know, as it does. For sure. And that's what any kind of progress I'd ever be hoping to find would be. It's it's understanding Christ through his word. Yeah. The thing that is really intriguing to me about this is that it opens up this whole world of thinking of yourself as another person. Cause I think there are a number of different, like you have self efficacy, which was something that I studied or, um, self talk, just the way that we formulate thoughts in our mind is almost as if you're like talking to someone else, right? It's the intrapersonal communication. Intrapersonal. And it's, it, it's what Kierkegaard Framing says, that, yeah, by the way. Self is a self-relation. That's Kierkegaard's theory. Self is a self-relation. Yeah, it's and, and it's weird to think about because it kind of breaks some of the math that you do if you're thinking about it like like uh, Shannon Weaver, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, there's something more than math going on there. Right. It's not just a simple equation that's happening. It's not right. a simple transference of of things. There's a whole host of other ideas that come into play. Right. So, John, is there a way you would push back, like poke poke this idea for holes? I, you know, we just only want to be biblical. I, I, yeah, you know, we we know that the Christian is fundamentally extroverted; that we really look away from ourselves um, to Christ, and this is where we find ourselves. I, I just, I just still think there's something that is valid about that self-talk issue, and I think mm-hmm. an awful lot of. I told this to a, to a student a few weeks ago. We just talked it through the same kind of way. Yeah. Her first response was, "This is this this is scary. It's like I can't even imagine who I would be if I wasn't just looking in the mirror every morning, despising the face that's there." And and so again, you're gonna treat someone whom God has redeemed and loved and put His Son in. You're gonna really. You're gonna really. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna treat them the way you wouldn't treat a dog. Yeah, I think it's. I. <laughs> but I, I don't want to lose the peace that. Which yeah, we, we do relate to ourselves, and I think it, it needs to be colored by an appropriation of grace. Yeah. No, no taking away the daily need to repent and confess. For sure, I think it's it's 
good to to test those kinds of things against scripture, but I'm not thinking I can't think of anything that would you would rise as an argument against that. It seems to be more empowering almost, right? Sure. It gives you it gives you a way to see yourself the way that God sees you I instead so. of and it I don't think that that's I mean, of course you can take any idea too far and if you become if it's more about you forgiving yourself than God forgiving you, I think right. then it's then it's You're off the maybe rails that's there. the that's the thing. It's, but I think that's s- the same thing that makes it so powerful is that you can also forgive because God has already forgiven that person. And he's the one that matters. You can, you can, right. That's what matters, and you can forgive that too. Peace with God is everything, the objective peace. And in a very secondary way, we are we are given permission to have peace with ourselves. And mm-hmm. you know the, the sins of your past that could destroy you if you thought about them too long, we have permission, so to speak, to not think of them in that way, but to only think of them in terms of, Paul thinking of his past, which was just, boy, am I ever a poster child of God's grace. This is what I am, Paul says. I just display how great God's grace can be. And so that's an example of how he deals with himself, right? How yeah. He deals with the past, all shaped and colored by the reality of Jesus. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, of places in Scripture where self-referential I am too. things are happening. I am too. Yeah, I mean, maybe you have some parts of... Like maybe the at the beginning of Genesis is we we they talk to themselves or we discussed among the, ourselves and it or where is that there is that in Genesis well, what was the how, what's the phrase that's I guess there? They, well I don't know if this is what you're thinking of I, I think about what sin brought really was the soul curved inward and it is Adam first reflects upon himself mm-hmm. as a sinner I think before that he was probably just lost in the awe of God and the wonder of Eve his wife but then. Yeah. Just that fascinating thing. Who told you you were naked? Right. So, yeah. Someone had to tell you he was naked. God asked, "Who told you this that you were naked?" Yeah. It's like, when did you start reflecting on you? Yeah. And so I think maybe if if anything, self compassion could be thought of as the freedom to be done with all that. Just you know, God has made you His friend, so you're free to be done with all that. Mm-hmm. You know the like the Romans eight thing. Who 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 can condemn you when God has Justified you. Who? Who? And it has to at some level include you can't either. Mm-hmm. Satan can't, nor can you condemn yourself. If God has justified you, who? Who are you to say anything yeah. other? You know. So the notion of looking in the mirror and just being done with a certain kind of self-abusive self-talk. Mm-hmm. It's very different. So, like you know, saying "I suck" is a really different thing than repenting. Saying "I yeah. suck" means you plan to wallow in that. Self-condemnation, repentance is to be laid open before God and to let mm-hmm. his word guide you in understanding the true desperate need in your nature and then to turn away from that again. So that's repentance, and it's meant to bring times of refreshing. That's what it's meant to do. It's meant to be this liberating thing coming yeah. out the other side of that and being free, and, you know, and you're never going to die. And So... Maybe maybe it's just something in me that wants to sort of disrupt what passes for repentance, which is just that ugly voice of condemnation. You know, um, person treats himself the worst possible way, and then thinks it's repentance. Yeah. No. No. Well, that I remember. I mean, you have the same thing with empathy or um, humility. That's the word. Mm. 
-hmm. Humility isn't self-deprecation. That's so humility is a self-referential idea that to be humble, you have to have a self-referential sort of state. And it's that self-referential state isn't looking in the mirror and despising that person in front of a host of other people. <laughs> That's, uh, how, how, do, how would you define humility? More like self-forgetting more? Sure. I, or, yeah, I think so. So the, the Philippians way is to say, you know, your attitude is the same of, as that of Christ because you don't look only to your own interests, you look to the interests of others. Mm -hmm. So it is a sort of self-forgetting, yeah. stepping aside and losing yourself in the great things God mm -hmm. has given you to see too. Yeah, it's not putting yourself on top of the pedestal for sure. Or, or on the bottom or, or oh, yeah. sort of it's a just not, false humility. Not I, as I important. Got, I got nothing, you know, it's a function of law and gospel. So the law just does its crushing and how did I ever think I was better than anybody on this planet? I don't know how I ever did that because the law just brings me back to myself and and it's we're just always needing to be brought back to reality of just of our flesh and but then even more is a function of the gospel then that to see in Christ that your need every need of yours is met. Mm -hmm. You know, you could say in this we can see our neighbor for the first time because our need is so well met that I can actually look to your interest, not not mine. Yeah. Um, I heard an interesting definition for humility. I can't remember where I've, I, I heard it from, but it was more along the lines of humility is, and it was counteracting the idea of like self-deprecation, but it was more realizing that you will always have room to grow, hmm. which I thought was interesting because it doesn't, it's not other referencing either. It's, it is still self-referential, mm -hmm. but it's more, it's, it's more, it's, it's, it's recognizing that our, our, our sinful state essentially. Yeah. So it's don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's, yeah. it's that piece. Um, mm -hmm. And recognizing you have room to grow means that, well, I mean, if you assume that everyone's goal is to, you know, be better than the person they were yesterday, then, you're you're always in a state of being able to accomplish more. I don't know. It was an interest. It was an eye opening yeah. thing for me, at least at that time in my life. But perhaps I'm think. I wonder if um, well, maybe we're maybe we're getting too nerdy about this. But I'm thinking that maybe the reason that self referential ideas like this, such as self compassion, self efficacy, self talk, are a result of us being like putting words in between us and reality. Mm -hmm. So because we name ourselves, that is what a self-referential thing is because I have to be able to identify it. I have to put a name to it. I have to, to communicate about it in some way via a symbol. And that's what causes a self-referential state for us. So that that would mean that animals wouldn't have, that hmm. but that that would be a, a uniquely human trait that we think of ourselves as symbols so that we can talk about them and discuss them and discuss ourselves so maybe it's not maybe it's just a just the way things are the way god made us <laughs> <laughs> is that too nerdy is that well, too it's, far it's been a long day john <laughs> I'm to think. I, I mean i love it i, I 
that's that's why we have the disclaimer in our show is because we are f- yeah. we're going to be f- feel free to just kind of talk some yeah. things out and then come back to things if we don't think it was expressed the best way. The somehow you triggered in my mind this proverb. That I'm not even sure what it means, but the literal the literal re- translation of the proverb would would be like water face to face, so the heart of man to man. Like water faced, and so the translations kind of smooth out into something, but the literal is like water face to face, so the heart of man to man. And I, I wondered if this is just as a person can see his reflection in the water, I can know what's in another person mm-hmm. because of what's in me, something like that. So we're back to the question Interesting. Of what, what kind of sur- surveying all the possibilities of human connection. Is, is that what the verse yeah. is talking about? I, I think maybe it is. And I think that maybe this ties into what I was thinking of earlier. And you had a good point about the... Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this scintillating conversation. At, at some point in this broadcast, I don't know when exactly or who was talking, uh, this conversation kind of goes off the rails a little bit, maybe. A little bit, And maybe. so, well, we're going to uh, introduce a new feature, and that is on... Um, in subsequent podcasts, we'll have a section called "May I Send That Back to the Kitchen," and we'll revisit we'll revisit anything we weren't really happy with how it how it came turned across. out. Yeah, yeah. This one kind of this one kind of got got out there a little bit. So in the next episode, we'll revisit some of the things that we might not be happy with how we conveyed it, and we can revisit it a little bit, clarify some things, alter some things, and. Um, yeah, hopefully that makes it a little bit more intriguing for all of us. And it gives us a little bit of time to step away from, from the conversation as it's happening, thinking about it a little bit and then prepare our apologies. Yeah. Prepare our, back with those. <laughs> right. Nothing is, nothing has been that terrible. It's just, do I want to stand on that yeah. statement or do I not? Or, yeah. And that's part of the fun of, of doing a podcast, I think, is that oftentimes, you know, the things that I'm thinking of especially towards the end are things that i haven't thought of before and right. so like speaking it uh is exploratory instead of uh like this is a statement of something that i believe it's more of a maybe a question maybe oh maybe if i think about it this way and then if if it didn't turn out well or if i think about you know maybe maybe not so much then the next episode we'll be able to revisit those things so look for those in episode five We'll come back with a few of those. And Toward the end. Towards the end. And yeah. now we return you to your dining pleasure. where two or three. Buckle up. Maybe this ties into what I was thinking of earlier. And you had a good point about the, in what Adam talking uh, or having a self-referential thoughts about his nakedness. After, after sin. After sin. Yeah. But I'm also, I, I, the, the part I'm remembering, and I can't remember where it was, is essentially God talking to himself about something they were like, they were going to decide something like the Trinity. They're, they're it going was like the Trinity. They're going to know good and equal. Is that, is that what you're I think to? so. Yeah. And it was like a conversational talk about mm-hmm. this thing. And then maybe us being made in God's image is a parallel. Am I just, am I going too far? <laughs> like,
I think this, I don't want to make. Do- I, I think, I think it. I don't want to. I don't want to make. I don't want to say this is this and this is this and that's the that's the end of that. But I also, I think it's fun to look at some of the parallels, whether they're direct or even coincidental. I think it's interesting to look at those. So. Like the image of God idea is like one of those for me, because it's hard to say like, this is what the image of God means, but it's very interesting to dive into that. And I think, were you on a podcast that discussed that or? I had heard one. Yeah. Was that? uh, Let the bird fly. Let the bird fly. I saw that. Working on a PhD on the image of God. That whole idea was so intriguing to me that like our bodies, our, our persons, our vessels, like temples for God, like we are the host of God in the world. What I took, the, the big picture I took was <clears throat> like a God would make an image of himself in mm-hmm. his temple, that, yeah. that the whole universe is God's temple. And within that temple, he puts one, in only one place, the image of himself. Mm-hmm. And that is Adam and Eve. And so what's crazy about that includes how centuries ahead of its time, the Bible is really on gender. That right from the start, Eve was part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, Eve is part of that. So I think I'd have to kind of bone up on this. I, I think our fathers talk about the image of God. Have There's a couple of different things, you know. In confirmation class, I learned image of God is innocence and knowledge mm-hmm. of him. And so therefore yeah, the image of God is lost. Luthers. So it's lost in the fall. Mm-hmm. But there were, I think, others of our church fathers who were willing to explore these other just human capacities that can be mirrors of God. Like we're storytelling creatures. We create through symbols. Yeah. He is the real creator. You know, we're meaning making, making creatures, and God is the ultimate meaning. And um, there's a whole layer of things that people can wonder: yeah. Is that the image of God? This set of capacities for just personality itself, for example. And mm-hmm. I'm nervous about this just because I haven't. Yeah. Studied well, what is, and this is the. I'll think about these things and just just yeah. for just for fun, like when I'm driving or something. It's yeah. just uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, me so too. I don't want to be I don't want to speak as an authority on like what the image of God no, is or okay why self re- why we're self referential creatures. I don't have these answers, but it's fun yeah. to think about. Yeah. It's fun to think about. This was Kierkegaard's definition of repentance, by the way. This so it's, you got to think it through. What what I like about Kierkegaard is he just gives you fresh ways to think about old categories. So okay. Repentance is the self becoming a self, that it might be drawn to God. And what it means is if the self is a self-relation, the self is defined by the ability to reflect upon itself, then the self becoming a self, that is us becoming more deeply reflective on our sin and our need for God's grace, that he's actually, that this is how God is drawing us to himself by that dynamic. Does that make any sense? Kierkegaard was so ahead of oh, my time. Well, mine too. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I kind of grasping it. Mm. It's, it's almost like, um, I don't know. It feels like one of those things you got to understand before you, you understand it, you know? Yeah. So the other yeah. cherry on top of the, the compassion thing, which again, the ultimate is Christ's compassion. Yeah that you get for being his child. It's not not evaluative. It's not conditional. Um, new thing in our house, John, is I've, I've started to yell at Mrs. Paustian. I've started to yell at Connie. Oh, my. So, yeah, she'll be in the next room, and I'll hear her 
being down on herself or something, did a dumb thing or whatever. And yeah. I, would, I would go, hey, be nice to my wife. <laughs> this, is <our> new, <laughs> this is our new thing. Um, I learned that from a young pastor in San Antonio. His, um, his wife says that to him, hey, be nice to my husband. That's funny. Because it just, but it does speak to self-talk that is very common that actually isn't mm-hmm. edifying or wholesome. Yeah. Don't you agree? I mean, yeah, I feel like all the time that we're looking at self-talk, it'd be uh, identifying a problem. You know, we never talk about that as like a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. It's all almost often, almost often always, is that a way? I, I must be getting tired too. It's very often when I see it in in uh, looking at something that's that's an that's an issue, you know, something that needs to be changed. Maybe like the way that um, Peters was looking at the way the communication field was is like everything's a problem. Mm-hmm. Like maybe not everything's a problem. Maybe we can start looking at you know the ways that it's it's less of a something that we have to solve right away and more just a natural state of the way that we're created. And again, the the gratitude piece of yeah, it works. Mm-hmm. Much of the time, much of the time, it does we work. We are not alone. We actually communication is that which answers to our need to be known mm-hmm. by somebody and to know them. And the fact that, like you said, all the focus is on how it fails, and I, th- I think that's partly partly the post World War II thing. I think yeah. people were disillusioned and just kind of realized how bad things could get based on how yeah. terrible they were, and so. It just t- took a smart scholar to come along and name that this mm. pessimism isn't entirely grounded. The yeah. language is it's not always language like is this. quite an amazing gift mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. It functions, you know. And yeah. And that's just like interpreting God's word. Where we started was interpreting God's word or God speaking through his word. God is communicative. What a huge thing that is to say that... But it's sort of maybe analogous to Jesus being truly, fully, actually, really a human being and truly, fully, really, actually God. I wonder, the Word of God, it's human language, right? It's just mm-hmm. really human. It's not some metaphysical mumbo-jumbo. Mm-hmm. There's some special way to interpret it. Yeah. You interpret it as the human language that it is. And, and the normal things apply, adding, of course, that we need the Spirit because what it says is so scandalous. I mean, what the actual actual message is is so scandalous. But understanding what the word is saying to us is sort of not the problem some people would like to make it out to be, because it's human language, right? But yeah. it is it is the very word of God, you know. And to think that God exploited language the way He did, that we could know the very thoughts of Moses and know the very thoughts of Isaiah through written text. I mean, how what better thing could He have done? If he wants a message to last of the centuries, how, mm-hmm. how else would he have done it? But what other invent, way? Invent this thing. He didn't use YouTube. He didn't did use not. didn't use uh, anything anything else. <laughs> I, that was the only other m- channel of communication that came to mind. Um, How's our time, John? Yeah, we're at we're at an hour oh. and fifteen minutes. So oh. I think we're we're getting close. Uh, do you have one, more? I do have just one last thing at the idea of um, self. Self-talk, as I saw it in terms of um, creativity, uh, I think it was a TED Talk. Is it Elizabeth Gilbert? That it, sounds it might have been. It, it's the uh, the idea that our creative ideas are externalized 
or thought of as like coming from another source. And I've, Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. It's like, that's the idea of, well, in ancient times they'd call it a genius Hmm. as like this, this external thing that would come and give you ideas or like a muse, the muse that would come in and be your source of, of inspiration. Where are you going with this, John? I just think it's (laughs) intriguing to think about, our thoughts and especially our creative thoughts when we're writing or designing something or coming up with ideas as external or other. I just think it's fascinating. You have this wry <laughs> smile on your face. <laughs> like, the that theologically as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, that's, it is an interesting theological thought too, because how much of like a, I mean, I'm not saying God speaks to you through your thoughts thank, like this. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I want to be very clear. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think it's intriguing to it, – it goes in line with the, the idea that we speak of ourselves as like another person almost, that we could look in the mirror and like the person in the mirror is the one coming up with the thoughts. I just yeah. haven't pieced it together because I do – I end up doing a fair amount of creative stuff. And it mm-hmm. it's a, where do my thoughts come from? I don't know who's driving that train sometimes. Like it kind of goes all over the place. You know? <laughs> oftentimes goes into a train wreck, but it, it still sometimes doesn't feel as guided, you know? Hmm. Interesting. So I don't know. I just like exploring those things. So. I'm speechless. <laughs> Well, now I'm speechless too. Are we? Are <laughs> should, we ready? Should we get a ch- should did we? Check, did check, we check, please? Yeah. Is it? Can you get that guy? Audition. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much hey, for you listening, too, John. Oh, oh, you're thanking the listeners. I'm, yeah. Well, are you going to listen? Because I could thank you too. <laughs> no. Are we up no. to six now? <laughs> we're, we're not going to listen. No. 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 Uh, well. Thank you for uh, hanging on for dear life at the end there. We <laughs> discussed uh, whatever was Your going muse. through my head, my muse. Uh, that'd be a good way to excuse the last part of this podcast we'll if I just externalized back. it, right? Okay, and said those, those thoughts well, were I was going to say, send it, send it back to the kitchen. Send it back to the kitchen. <laughs> we'll bake that one okay, some more. Yeah, my muse, I, I need something better next time. Uh, but no, for those of you listening, thank you very much. This has been the Where Two or Three podcast. We'll see you next time.